Okay, if you've got a Bible uh, with you, turn to Romans chapter 15. And we're halfway through uh, Romans 15. We're working our way through the letter to the Romans. Uh, Today we're going to read from verses 14 to 33. And so this is the part of Romans where Paul is kind of tying the letter off, uh, the final um, uh, instructions, I guess, for the church. So let's read from Romans 15, verses 14 to 33. Okay, this is God's word. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions... And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go on to Spain and be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia uh, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it. And indeed they owe it to them, For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, uh, they ought to also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that your word says that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God stands forever. So, Father, may we 
uh, listen to your word with a humble and contrite heart, uh, that we would tremble at your word uh, because we know that it is you uh, speaking. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Okay, this is the second last sermon in our series uh, in Romans. And uh, we've been learning about what's Romans about? The gospel of God. How do we know that? Because Paul tells us in the very first verse of Romans, Romans is all about the gospel of God. That's the good news of Jesus, that he is the saviour. And uh, we've spent about 20 hours over the last 11 months working our way through Romans. Okay, 20 hours, that's a big investment of time. And I wonder, what would it look like if we have really taken Romans to heart? Okay, what impact should the letter to the Romans actually have on us today? And that, that question, it's like asking, what is the point of Romans? Now, what is the intention of the letter? What did Paul hope to achieve when he wrote this letter to that Roman church in the first century? Okay, what's the point? And uh, the answer to that question is actually um, revealed in our passage today. Because this is the part of Romans where Paul finally reveals why he wrote the letter and what he was hoping to achieve by writing this um, letter uh, to the church in Rome. And so what we have, uh, you know, after 15 chapters of detailed exposition of the gospel of God, we finally now hear why Paul wrote it. <laughs> and the reason might surprise you, at least initially, because what this passage shows us is that the reason Paul wrote Romans is actually to enlist the church at Rome to be supporters in his gospel mission to the nations. So Paul wrote Romans so that the church would be passionate about supporting the gospel mission. That's the point of Rome, Romans. Uh, now that might seem like it comes out of nowhere. Um, you know, when have we talked about gospel mission in the last 15 chapters of Romans? I mean, it's sort of come up a little bit in chapter 10, but it hasn't been mentioned a whole lot. So how could this be the point of the whole letter to, to enlist the church's support in gospel mission and uh, if you think about it, what is the best way to get a church excited about the mission of the gospel? What's the best way to do it? Is the best way to do it by command, you know, get out and preach the gospel, do evangelism. Is that the best way to do it? No, no, the best way to, to get a church excited about spreading the gospel is by showing them how wonderful the gospel is, by showing by showing us how powerful the gospel is to transform our lives. You know, like that verse, uh, the gospel is the power to salvation for everyone who believes. And, and then Paul shows how the gospel, how powerful it is. We've been learning over those 20 hours of um, sermon time how the gospel transforms our lives. And, you know, the more we experience the life-changing power of the gospel, the more we will want others to know about it. Okay, to use a marketing analogy, uh, the best advertisement is what? A happy customer. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because the gospel is not a product that we're trying to market. 
the gospel is the power to God for salvation. And yet it is true that the most passionate supporters of gospel mission are those who have experienced its power in their own lives. Okay, you know, when you experience it, you just want to tell other people about it. You want to share that. And uh, that's what Paul uh, wanted in the church of Rome. He wanted uh, this church to embrace the gospel mission, to be passionate supporters of it. And so he wrote this letter. And uh, therefore, what is the purpose of us studying the letter to the Romans together? It's the same thing, that we would be passionate supporters of gospel mission. And so we're going to think about that today, what that looks like for Frankston Presbyterian Church to be passionate about the gospel, about spreading it. Uh, We're going to learn about that in this passage. And there's three um, things that we can learn from this passage about it. Uh, About the mission of the gospel, we see the work that we're called to do. We see the ambition that we are to have and the partnership that we're in. Okay, so the work we're to do, the ambition we're to have, the partnership that we're in. Uh, So let's look at the first one, Uh, the work we're to do. That's in verses 14 to 19. And uh, Paul describes the work we're to do. And he does it by talking about his own work. So the Apostle Paul, he had a very unique role in the uh, gospel mission because Paul was called to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And an apostle, that's a a non-repeatable role uh, that, that Paul had. And uh, so in one sense, his work was unique. And added to that, Paul was a full-time evangelist, a full-time missionary, a full-time church planter. And so what Paul talks about was all unique to him. And yet when he describes the actual work, we see that there are some things that do apply to us, you know, some things we can learn about, you know, what we're meant to be on about as a church. And so have a look at verse 16. Uh, Verse 16, he writes um, uh, that God gave him this grace, here it is, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, notice what Paul's doing. He's describing his ministry using Old Testament language, priestly service, offerings, acceptable to God. This is all language from the temple, you know, the the ministry that happened uh, in the Old Testament temple. And this is not the first time Paul has done this. Back in chapter 12, verse 1, he talked, he described the whole of the Christian life using this kind of Old Testament language, that we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God, holy and pleasing to Him. How that sounds like what priests did in the temple, offering sacrifices to God, and then Paul's saying, no, that that's, describes the whole of the Christian life, offering ourselves as sacrifices to God. And now Paul describes his ministry in the same terms, a priestly service, uh, making acceptable offerings. But what is it Paul wanted to offer to God? People. He wants to offer people as acceptable to God. And so he's talking about people being converted through the preaching of the gospel and those people, their lives being changed so that they become these living sacrifices. And that's what he means by saying uh, that his aim is that they would be, at the end of verse 16, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And that word sanctified, it means set apart. 
set apart for God. And so by describing people like this, we can see that Paul's aim in the ministry that he was doing, it wasn't just to get people to make a decision for Jesus and then go on their way. He wasn't after some sort of superficial conversion experience. He was aiming for life change, that people would actually be set apart Devoted to God, like an Old Testament sacrifice that was completely offered up to God. So he wanted to see their whole lives given over as an offering. And uh, that's why down in verse 18, uh, he talks about his goal as being uh, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. And obedience, what is that? Obedience is the fruit of a true conversion. See, how do you know someone's been changed by the gospel? How do you know someone has, has found Jesus as Lord and Saviour? There's a new desire to want to live for him, to want to obey him, you know, to live with him as Lord. And so that's what Paul was aiming for, uh, for real conversion, you know, people being transformed by the gospel. Uh, do you know, when I was um, in uni, uh, there was a fellow student who was a fair bit older than me, uh, that I um, was able to talk about the gospel to on a number of occasions. And uh, he always seemed to shrug it off as not for him. And then at the end of the year, you know, we had the summer holidays, came back the next year after the break. And uh, when I saw him the first time, he actually came up to me and he said, hey, guess what? Over the holidays, I got saved. And he, he told me that he went to some event where um, the gospel was proclaimed and uh, at the end of the uh, message, the speaker invited anyone who wants to receive salvation to come down the front, and he thought that sounded good, so he went down the front, and someone told him that, you know, all of your sins have been forgiven, you're now free, you, you, you can go to heaven, and uh, he thought that was wonderful, so he went home really excited, and now he was telling me about that, and I was like totally wrapped. This was really exciting news, and, so, and I asked him, you know, so where are you going to go to church now that you're a Christian? And he goes, hang on a minute, I'm not a Christian, I'm just saved. And I was, that was the first time I heard this, and I un, tried to unpack what, what did he mean by that. And uh, what he actually meant was he wasn't intending to follow Jesus, wasn't intending <clears throat> on being a Christian, he just wanted to be sure that he had a free pass into heaven. And so it turns out he'd been offered a truncated gospel. He was sold short. He was missing out on all that the gospel actually offered. See, what we've been learning um, as we've been going through Romans is that salvation, it's way more than just a free pass into heaven. Like in one sense, it is a free pass into heaven, but that's not all. <laughs> what does the gospel give us? The gospel actually gives us a relationship with God. Now, in chapter 1, we learn that we, we were once enemies of God, separated from him. We used to worship anything but God. And as a result, we were under God's wrath. You know, chapter 1 talked about that God was going to punish us forever for our rejection of him. And yet Romans goes on in chapter 3 to 5 to talk about that instead of punishing us for our rejection of God, God decided to send his own son. He went to the cross. He was punished in our place. Why? So that we can be let off the hook no, so that we can be reconciled to God. 
so that we can be brought into a right relationship with God. And then Romans 6 to 8 goes on to talk about how we've been given the Holy Spirit so that we can now live this new life that we have in Christ. See, that that friend I had in uni, he'd been sold short. He's missing out on what the gospel actually does. Transform life. Whole life change. Now actually living in relationship uh, with God. And that's what Paul was aiming for. You know, in his gospel mission, going around telling people about Jesus, he wasn't just getting, wanting people to sign a card and then being able to say, look how many converts I got. He wanted to see people changed so that they would then offer themselves as living sacrifices to God. That, that's the aim of gospel ministry. That's actually the work uh, that we're on about. We're on about bringing the good news as of Jesus to people so that they would believe and that they would be changed by him, that they would live now in a relationship with God. Now, the other defining um, characteristic that Paul um, talks about in his gospel ministry, uh, he says that the, the main worker in the work that he did was not himself but Jesus. So you have a look at verse um, 17. Uh, He says, in Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my works for God. For, verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience uh, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders. And if you're wondering about that, signs and wonders were the authenticating marks of an apostle. So we don't expect to be doing signs and wonders today because those were the things that authenticated Christ's apostles. Uh, Paul also says that he did it by the power of the Spirit of God. But anyway, what what Paul's saying here, he's so thrilled with the success of the the ministry that he had. Uh, He goes on in verse 19 to say how uh, from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, you think about that. How, how can he say he's fulfilled the ministry? Now, there's a sense in which ministry feels like it's never finished. You know, there's always someone else to reach with the gospel. Um, but what Paul is saying here is that all the way from like Jerusalem, which was on the east side of the Mediterranean, all the way up to, well, he says Illyricum, that, that's not a place anymore, but it's just north of Greece. But in all of that area, through Paul's ministry, people were converted. Churches were planted, and so you have a whole region, the whole east of the Mediterranean, where previously there was no knowledge of Jesus, and now there are believers scattered all through there. There's churches planted that are carrying on the gospel mission. And so in that sense, Paul can say all of his work on that side is complete. It's fulfilled. right? And so that's that's an incredible effort. I mean, No wonder Paul says, I'm proud of my work, but Paul is under no illusion of where the success actually came from. He doesn't think, you know, look at how great of an apostle I am. No, no, he says, it's what Christ has accomplished me. It's by the power of the Spirit of God. And that's how Paul always talks about his ministry. He never saw himself as the main player. He never went around thinking, look at my success, but rather look at what Christ has done through me. See, 
Word and, he did word and deed. He was faithful, but the fruitfulness was produced by Jesus. And, and so that's what gospel ministry is. This is Christ working through us to bring people to himself who are then set apart uh, to live for him. And really, that's what the work of the church is. Okay, if you've ever wondered, what is the point of a church? What are we trying to do here? The point of the church isn't just somewhere where like-minded people can kind of hang out together, even though that is um, wonderful, um, but it's bigger than that. The, the church, what defines us as a church is this gospel mission, this mission to tell people about Jesus and, and, and see them come to know him and grow in him and be mature disciples of him. And see, all of us who are part of the church, that's the work we're, we're involved in. That's what we're doing. Every job, everything we do here, it all has that as the aim. Okay, even something like um, serving morning tea after the service. Some of you are going to be doing that. Some of you are going to be making coffees. You know, what's that got to do with gospel ministry? Everything. <laughs> because what is it for? It's to create a friendly context in which we can talk together, where we can encourage each other in the faith. That's all part of this gospel mission. Now, even something like uh, serving on the board, that might seem very remote from gospel mission, and yet its very purpose is to support, you know, to have resources and, and, and buildings and, and looking after those things so that gospel ministry can be carried out. And then, of course, if you're involved in any sort of teaching work, like some of you teach Sunday school, Bible studies, uh, some of you teach kids every day because you're a parent you know at home you have to teach your kids about jesus uh this is all gospel ministry so you're part of this mission you're part of what jesus is doing in the world see the gospel mission that's what christ is doing in the world today and he does it through the likes of us just little old us it's incredible so that's gospel mission what's well, the work we're to do but second, not only are we to carry out that work, but we're also to be motivated by gospel ambition. And we see that in verses 20 um, to 24. And again, Paul, he's describing his own situation, which was unique to him. And yet there are some clear implications about um, how we do church today. So in verse 20, uh, you know, after he's talked about how he's completed his work on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, he kind of sums it up by saying, you know, I make it my ambition, verse 20, to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see him and those who have never heard will understand. And so here we see the unique role that Paul had. He was a frontline missionary and he took his life motto from a passage in Isaiah. Uh, you know the suffering servant, Isaiah 53? We always talk about Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 actually starts in Isaiah 52. And that's where this verse comes from. And so the, the suffering servant is the one who, who will provide salvation for people for all over the world. And so Isaiah predicted, as, as Paul quotes here, that the people out there who had never heard about God will one day come to hear and that was a prediction of the gospel mission going out. 
And see, Paul looked at that verse and he said, that's my life motto. To take the good news to where it's never been heard before. And uh, he says in verse 22 that uh, even though he was wanting to go and visit the Church of Rome, you know, as soon as he could, it was never top priority. Why not? Because there was already a church there. And Paul's ambition was to go to the unreached, to where there was no gospel witness. That, that's what drove him. And uh, now that he's completed that work in the east, he then sets his sights on the west, on Spain. And he goes on to say that the Church of Rome, he's hoping will play a very big part in his new missionary endeavour in, in the west, on the west side of the Mediterranean. And so he goes on to say in verse 23, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. And listen, and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So here we see that even the greatest missionaries need support. They need a support base. And for Paul's eastern mission, he had the support base of the Antioch church. But now he's going off to the west of the Mediterranean. And uh, Antioch's way too far away. That's not going to be really of any help. And so he's asking the Roman church that are much closer to Spain to be his support base for this new missionary endeavour. And so when Paul says, I want to be helped on my journey uh, there by you, he's not asking for well wishes. Right? He's not hoping that when he stops off at Rome, they'll all give him a nice card saying, best of luck, Paul. No, no, when he's asking for help, he's actually asking for actual help. You know, money, supplies, even workers, because Paul always took a team with him. You know, he needs translators, guides, people who can cart stuff. You know, actual help. That's what he's calling this church. He's wanting them to throw in their full support with this new ambition of reaching um, Spain for Christ. And so clearly Paul wanted the church to share this gospel ambition. You know, wanting to see the unreached is not just for those on the front line. It's for everyone who knows Jesus. In fact, one of the ways that we know that the gospel is working in us is that we do have this, this ambition, that we do want to see those who aren't saved, saved. How can we who know the Saviour then look at the world and, and people who don't know Jesus and not think, hey, they need to know him too? Now, again, that's not saying we all have to quit our jobs, become full-time missionaries like Paul. No, no, but this, this ambition of wanting to see people saved, that should be our ambition too. That's, that's what the church that's, that's what should permeate the church. Now, for some of us, that will um, involve, uh, mean getting involved, like in a tangible way, uh, such that for some of us, it might even mean going somewhere. Uh, you know, Samuel and Drudy, they didn't hang around here. <laughs> they went somewhere. They went back to India. And uh, Kirsty's going off to um, Africa in a couple of weeks. Like, this is fantastic. That, that's, that's what a healthy church does. Sends people out. Why? For gospel mission. Now, wouldn't it be fantastic if we keep sending people out, keep 
getting rid of people, but for gospel mission. That's, that's the sign of a healthy church, a church that has embraced this gospel ambition. And so perhaps one application from this passage could be that you might think, maybe that's something I could explore. Maybe God is calling me to something, uh, to take the gospel to, some, to people somewhere. But for the rest of us, those who, who aren't going anywhere, well, in some ways we don't have to go anywhere because if we want to reach the unreached, we just have to stay put. The unreached are coming to us. Like if you look at Australia today, it is the land of opportunity. Uh, Australia is a mission field like never before. And, and sometimes people feel threatened by that. Sometimes people can feel threatened with uh, people from other nations coming to Australia, you know, particularly uh, Muslim people. It feels like, oh, maybe life will be changed. Maybe things, maybe Australia will be different in the future. But look, if we put our gospel glasses on and look at Australia, look at all the people that are around, look at the people who are coming, what do we see? We see opportunity, opportunities to extend the welcome of Christ. And what's the welcome of Christ? Sharing the gospel with them, calling them to repent and believe in the good news of Jesus. And so this gospel ambition, that's what should permeate our church. That's what should always be on the agenda. You know, we should never grow complacent about outreach. We should never stand still, so to speak. Uh, we've always got to keep evangelism on the agenda, you know, on the session agenda, the board agenda, the, the, church, the congregational meeting agenda. We've got to keep it in the budget. We've got to keep outreach in the church budget. This, this gospel ambition, it should permeate our church and of course it should permeate our own hearts because all of us have friends and family and neighbours and workmates who don't know Jesus. You know, they're on their way to hell and we know the Saviour and Jesus is the only Saviour. The only way people are going to be saved is through hearing about him. And so let's, let's embrace this gospel ambition. Let's, let's actually recommit ourselves just to wanting to see people saved. Let's see, that's gospel ambition. And then there's a third thing. Uh, we'll go a bit quicker here. So verses 25 to 33. Here we see that when we're in the work and have the ambition, that means we're actually in a, in a partnership. And we've already seen how Paul was calling the Church of Rome to, to become partners with him. You know, to be that support base for him. Um, but what we see in verses 25 to 33 <clears throat> is the partnership goes uh, much deeper and, and much wider than that uh, because in verses 25 to 29, Paul um, goes on to talk about a special collection that he was taking up. Uh, so you hear about this special collection um, all through 1 and 2 Corinthians. And uh, the, the collection, it was taken from um, Gentile Christians in, in Gentile churches and the purpose of it was because Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were experiencing um, poverty and they were in real physical need, you know, desperation. And so all of the Gentile churches sort of got together and gave very generously. And Paul oversaw that, that collection and then he was, uh, he was wanting to take it off um, to Jerusalem. Now, in the context of this passage where Paul's talking about his ambition to spread the gospel, it kind of looks like he's letting admin 
get in the way of evangelism at this point. But he's not, because what this is actually about, this collection was, was kind of like the capstone on the whole Eastern ministry that he had. Because this collection was a real show of unity amongst Gentiles and Jewish Christians. Uh, for, for Gentile Christians to give generously to their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ, that was kind of like the icing on the cake of all of this, this gospel work that had gone on, that finally here are, here are these people who, remember, they were incompatible, and yet now they're one in Christ, now looking after each other in these tangible ways. And so we can see there that the, the partnership that we have in the gospel, it, it goes wider and deeper than, than just that we're you know, all on about spreading the good news of Jesus, uh, but we're actually we're in it together. Uh, and this is a partnership that crosses boundaries. You know, the boundaries of race, the boundaries of location, and uh, uh, the boundaries of social status. And you know, today, even the boundaries of, of denomination. You know, we're, we're partners in the mission of the gospel with every other Christian and every other church that believes and preaches the gospel of Jesus. And so there's a sense in which we have, we, you know, we have that partnership and sometimes that should give its, show itself in physical expression of support and help uh, towards other Christians. So it shows the, the deep um, nature of that partnership. But the other expression of partnership that we see here is um, in prayer. Uh, because in verse 30, Paul makes this appeal uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. W why is prayer necessary? Because only God can change hearts. Only God can break new ground for the gospel to go forward. And so that's why prayer is an indispensable part of spreading the gospel. And Paul goes on to ask for prayer for safety in going to Jerusalem. Uh, he asks for prayer that the offering that, that has been collected will actually be accepted because the Jewish believers will need to be humble enough to embrace the um, support from Gentiles. And he also asks for prayer to make it to Rome. And the Roman church must have taken up this um, prayer request because all of those prayers were answered. When you read the book of Acts, you realize that Paul was kept safe when he went to Jerusalem, you know, he wasn't killed. <laughs> uh, the offering was accepted. And uh, he did make it to Rome. However, when you read Acts, you realize it was not in the way that anyone would have expected because he went to Rome as a prisoner. And uh, it looked like um, things were going pretty pear-shaped. But no, no, it was, the gospel was still going forward. You know, the, the book of Acts ends with Paul locked up under house arrest, doing what? having people come to him every day to hear the gospel. See, God's word's not chained. Uh, but here, what's Paul saying? He's saying that there's no involvement in gospel mission without prayer. That's how we join in the work. That's how we actually partner with others who are on the mission field. And, and again, that's not an optional extra for um, the Christian life. Prayer for the mission of the gospel it's one of the things that we get to do. It's one of the ways that we get involved. In fact, it's one of the things that we can all do. He don't have to be uniquely gifted uh, in spreading the gospel to be involved in prayer, which is frontline work. 
And so I'm going to encourage you to, to actually commit to this kind of prayer, praying for the gospel mission. In fact, we've got a prayer event coming up. Uh, this is convenient, isn't it? Uh, here's an advertisement. It's 31st of January. We're getting together to pray for the gospel mission, for the mission here for 2024, but also for, you know, all throughout the world. Uh, but what does Paul say? He says, strive together in prayer. And strive together doesn't mean a one-off event. Okay, this is something that's ongoing. We've got to commit to this. Uh, whether that's at home in, with your families, um, in your Bible study groups, uh, at pr church prayer meetings, um, even in your private prayers. Let's commit to this, this gospel partnership in prayer. And I know that's not easy to do. That's why Paul says strive together. And strive is a word that means it's hard. <laughs> it is hard to pray uh, consistently. Uh, but let me ask, have you ever regretted praying? Have you ever regretted gathering with other Christians to pray for the furthering of the gospel? Never. So let's, let's commit to this. It's something that we can all do. Okay, so let's wrap it up. What, what would it look like if we've taken Romans to heart? We'd be passionate about the mission of the gospel. Okay, because the gospel is the power to salvation. There's only one saviour, and his name is Jesus. Let's commit to this mission of seeing other people come to know him and grow in him. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a wonderful, what a wonderful mission this is, that, that there is hope for this world, this world where there is so much uh, darkness and and uh, people lost, and there's fighting and disunity, and and Lord, we uh, yeah, it just seems like this world's going nowhere. It's like um, the Book of Ecclesiastes, looking at things, saying just everything seems meaningless. And yet, into all of this meaningless, there is meaning, there is hope, and that's in in a person, in Jesus. And Father, we thank you that that we've come to know uh, the truth of the gospel, that we know that there is one Savior, one mediator between God and man. And, Lord, we know that without faith in Jesus, uh, there is no hope of salvation, but only the certainty of judgment and condemnation. So, Lord, we pray that you would raise us up and send us out. Help us to be uh, your instruments in your hand to bring the good news to others. And we do pray, Father, for all of those people who are on the front line taking the gospel to unreached places. We pray that you would protect them, Lord, and use them mightily uh, we again pray for the missionaries that we support. We pray that their work would be fruitful. And we pray, Father, that even in our own uh, lives, in, in the opportunities that we have at work and even in the home, uh, Father, help us to be faithful. Help us to have that ambition in our hearts of wanting to see people saved. And we pray that you would give us the boldness uh, to share the good news with others. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.